Let's hit it. Hello. Hey, welcome back to the Last Call Podcast. My name is Jamal, and I'm joined 137 kilometers away. Do with that information what you will. Ashley Etherington. It still feels a little bit too far away, if we're honest. The fact that we're an hour or so drive away and it's still 130 kilometers, but I am much closer than I normally am. Oh, mate, once you're pinging up that freeway. Oh, mate, I, I pinged it up that freeway Saturday, uh, Friday night. 110, once you get past the stupid amount of 90 prior to Rockbank. It used to be 100. I don't know why they changed it to 90. Oh, it's so annoying. I got overtaken by trucks because I was about eight hours into my drive and couldn't be bothered speeding. <laughs> and would never speed, of course. Yeah, for all the I, government officials. I was, I was just hanging in the left lane at 90 and there were trucks going past me. Yeah, it's it's a symbolic 90 where everyone's just like, do at least 100 or you're Muppet. Yeah, except for the police officer sitting there with his camera going, fine, fine, fine. Yeah, and then, you know, clicking on the old lights and giving a chase down the M8. But, um, yeah, big, big week of cricket. We're going to jump straight oh, into it. We're going to jump mate. right into it. This is fair use, by the way. Government officials who are listening. And who who also writes this? What is it, Channel 9? That's a Channel 9 song, yeah. That's uh, was always oh, followed... Pat- Closely by Mr. Richie Benner going, eh. and I'd love to say the words two for two, two, two in my best Richie impersonation, but the sad fact is it was 10 for well, nine for 36. Yeah, all right. Should should we just there's nowhere else we can start than India's innings? Yeah, no, it was it was one of the most ridiculous, ridiculous innings I've watched. I was at work. And they had it on the TV. And just every time I turned around, that was, that was another wicket. It was it was incredible. So I was driving down to Gisborne Saturday afternoon. When I turned the TV off in my lounge room, they were still one for. Boomer wasn't out yet. Got to the car in the driveway. Boomer was out. Two for. By the time I got to Gisborne, an hour later, all out. Shamir just been hit on the arm, retired her, gone, done, cooked. Fractured his was, arm, I think. Uh, it was always going to happen, though, because Dad drove us down to Gisborne because, and I quote, I would prefer to listen to the test cricket instead of watching it because listening to it's more exciting than watching it. So he chose to not watch that passage of play and instead drive us down the highway and then drive back because he would prefer to listen to it because nothing happens and he missed one of the greatest collapses in test cricket history what was it second lowest cricket history no i, I don't think it was second was it it was india's lowest i think ah yeah it was um, new zealand new zealand have the grand total low of 26 yeah yeah, it was. Uh, it's pretty incredible that not a single batsman on the scorecard gets past ten, or gets past nine, gets to ten. Um, all single figure scores for the Indians, including some of the greatest stayers and batsmen in world cricket: Pajara, Virat Kohli, 
Ajinkya Rahana is a very, very good batsman. Mm. And just the, um, and I know it'll go down in the annals of history as one of the, obviously one of the lowest test scores of all time, but in history, people say it was a pink ball test. Like they were up against it. The ball was moving everywhere. If, if you look at it, the ball didn't move that much or do that much extraordinary. Is that a bowl? Um, That's what I thought. Like when you saw India's opening test, uh, opening innings, you were like, ah, oh, that's a bit shaky. And then Australia shit the bed one through seven outside of Manus. You know what I got a real impression of from the batting from mm. both sides? It reeked of batsmen that haven't really played a lot of long form cricket recently. Yeah. No, fair Because I mean, I don't, I'm not too sure about the Indians, but I think most of them had been at least playing IPL. Mm. And then obviously some of them were in the Indian limited overside. And then you look at the Australian side. Um, Matty Wade was in the Australian limited overside, didn't play any Sheffield Shield. Joe Burns did, but couldn't buy a run. Um, and then you got Lava Shane was in the limited oversight. So was Smith. Uh, Travis Head? I, no, I think Travis Head played limited overs, but all, uh, played Sheffield Shield, but also wasn't in great form. Yeah. Um, Cameron Green played a little bit of Sheffield Shield, but then went into the Australian side and was focused on one day batting, then T20 batting. Um, and then you look at Tim Payne, who was man of the match because he hadn't been with the limited over squad at all and just looked really good, really solid, got in behind it and played really good test match cricket. So as much as it was very, very good bowling from Cummins and Hazelwood especially, Hazelwood's figures of five for, what did he get? Five for six? Five for eight um, are absurd. Ridiculous. But yeah, I don't think the ball did that much extraordinary. Like it didn't move around corners like pink balls sometimes do under lights. Mm. Um, and that's another fact that will probably be lost to history is the fact that this Indian collapse didn't happen under lights. It happened at three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, it was the middle of the day. And then, you know, Australia had to slog it out um, when the lights turned on. But yeah, like is... Is it just a mixture? They never, they never even got to the lights turning on. Burns and Wade had it in the sun. Really? Uh, Burns and Wade and Lava Shane and Smith, I guess, but Burns and Wade mainly. Wade got run out from a freakish piece of uh, wicket keeping yeah. with 10, 10 runs to go, I think. Yeah. yeah. Oh, when when they collapsed for 36, um, you like even after Australia's pretty rocky batting, um, you, you thought they'd come up with 90 runs. You'd, you'd like to think so. Yeah, and that was one of the things. When you're chasing such a low total, all the pressure's off, and that's why Joe Burns could walk out there. And, like, he was scratchy for a while, but not having any of that pressure on your shoulders just means you can sort of bat instinctually. Instinctively? One of those words is correct. Just bat instinctively and just see ball, hit ball, which is what he did. Matty Wade was good. He was probably more aggressive than he was in the first innings because there was that lack of pressure. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, as much as obviously it's nice to get the test win, that sort of having that really, really low pressure-free chase is probably one of the best things that could happen for the entire summer for Burns and Wade as well. But I, Wade was under nowhere near as much pressure as Burns was. Yeah, well... Just jumping ahead a bit, Pekoski has been ruled out 
and yeah, Warner and the strong out. indications that Warner's also not going to play. So I think, um, and I was going to get to this a little bit later, but we can go with it now. I think that solves a real, real headache for the selectors because if Warner and Pukowski were both fit, but even if Warner was fit and Pukowski wasn't, I think it, it's a huge headache. Mm. Um, just hypothetically, if Warner was fit, not Pukowski, if Warner was fit, obviously he walks back into the side Yeah. Um, as an opener. And I think what happens then, I think Burns showed enough not to get dropped especially, well, in that second innings. But, I mean, he fought a little bit better in the first innings than he had been. Yeah. Um, so then I think it comes down to a bat-off between Wade and Travis Head. Uh, I agree. Um, I think Wade just gets dropped down the order and Head gets at, him. Yeah, at, at number five. And I think previous to, like, this test and this lineup, I probably would have said Head probably edges Wade simply because he can add a few overs with the ball. Mm. But the fact that Cameron Green is just a genuine all-rounder, I think, means that Wade's probably in better form with the bat and probably would edge head out. But Yeah, and when you've got, um, you know, Stark, Cummins and Hazelwood, yeah. they didn't even use Lyon in the second innings. Not once. They didn't. They didn't, didn't need to and didn't go back to Stark after that first spell because Hazelwood took five for eight and Cummins took, what, four for 12-ish? Four for 21. 21 dyslexic um but yeah cameron green bowling allows you to just pick your best five batsmen whereas if your number six batsman doesn't bowl or doesn't bowl more than a couple of overs here or there then suddenly what you have to pick a top six based on the assumption that one of them might have to bowl a little bit and that's why mitchell marsh kept getting so many games in previous years because even if he wasn't going to um, always take wickets, or always be super dependable to keep it tight. He at least could be relied upon to bowl overs. He's competent enough to bowl overs. He's not going to get smashed. And you hope you don't have to use him, but in the majority of test match, test matches, especially against a batting lineup that includes Pajara and Coley and Rahane, you're going to need that fifth bowler. Yeah. Um, but Cameron Green bowled pretty well, I think. They uh, The tactics they used him with were interesting. I don't know how much you saw of Green Bowl in the first innings, but they used him mainly as somebody to sort of an intimidator to sort of run in and bowl bounces and sort of get the batsman on the back foot. Yeah, sure. Obviously, because he's two metres tall, he gets that steepling bounce very easily. And <laughs> I'd love to see him play a test match in Perth. He's, ah, oh, he, they would be flying down the pitch in Perth. Yeah, but uh, oh, the the Gabba should be similar, I guess. It's not quite as bouncy, but um, hopefully still in the side by the time they get to Brisbane. What's that? The um, fourth. Fourth. So Melbourne is the Boxing Day. Sydney is New Year's at this stage. Yeah, obviously could could change pending the outbreak. But at this stage, they Cricket Australia released an update saying we're planning on playing it in Sydney. Probably no fans though. Um, yeah, possibly. That that's true. Who knows, really? Yeah. Um, as as with everything with COVID, it's weeks away. We really can't tell. Yeah, uh, it's definitely a last second decision for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think if Warner was fit, I reckon Wade probably goes down the order in, in place of Head. Yeah. If Pekovsky was also fit, 
then it, it would have gotten real tough for the selectors. Um, because I think, well, I don't know. They had a couple of options. They could have ignored Bukowski, um, which would be harsh given how good a form he was in and the fact that they picked Cameron Green off probably not as good a form. Mm. Um, but then you couldn't drop Green. Like, he looked really good with the bat, got out to a very good catch from Coley um, and then was pretty good with the ball. And really, you don't want to be changing winning sides too much, especially when they win by as much as they did. Um, so if Warner and Bukowski were both fit, I don't know. I think, yeah, impossible to tell. I think to be Warner would definitely walk back in. I think um, Australia, like they, the selectors, would leave Bukowski out because they do it on the caveat that oh, he's coming off an injury. Um, and obviously concussions like are hard to tell. So that'd be the, be like, well, we'll keep him out just for now, but yeah, he'll be in next time. To be honest, I think that's what it is now. I think he's recovered from his concussion technically, but they're saying, oh, he's coming off an injury. He's had too many of these injuries. We don't want to risk him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree. They probably would do that. Um, but if, so like if he, hadn't have been available hypothetically if he had to miss that first test through unavailability due to family reasons or just something that wasn't that they couldn't use injury as an excuse for mm-hmm. um and warner was fit i i don't know i get the feeling they'd probably open with warner and uh burns and probably but then you've got an issue because Bukowski's best in the top three. Smith's at number four. So he probably pushed Labashe into number five. Um, which probably not. Well, actually, Labashe at number five. I don't mind Labashe at number five, but you probably want one of your two best batsmen at number three, I think. Steve Smith likes batting at four, so you can leave him there. Does he really? Um, like, Spurs batting at four? Yeah, quite. Like, I know traditionally a side's best batsman used to bat at three. Ponting used to bat at three. Brian Lara used to bat at three. But I think it's become quite a common thing lately. Virat Kohli prefers to bat at four. Yeah. Smith likes batting at four. Um, I think Joe Root bats at four. There you go. Of the of the big four batsmen, test batsmen in the world, it's probably only Williamson that bats in the top three these days. Oh, he had a belter against the... He did, didn't he? And, and then didn't play the second test because he was unavailable. Yeah. But, um, yeah. <laughs> I just saw the scores and I was like, oof. Yeah. You go for nine. No. Um, the, the story, as much as the story of India's 36 is their batting's clearly fragile and they're losing the best batsman in the world for the next three tests. That doesn't help. Um it shouldn't be understated how good Australia's bowling attack is. And as much as it is how good they are individually, I think it's how good, how well-rounded they are. They have Stark, the like opening, well, the left-handed bowler, which is the first point, first tick for variation and like a well-rounded attack. Um, So I've got the left-handed really quick opening bowler that can swing it, but if it's not swing can also bowl really fast and intimidating. Mm. And you saw that, that first spell on the first afternoon, the ball wasn't swinging at all. So he sort of brought his length back and just sort of tried to 
not really rough them up, but like get them on the back foot for Hazelwood and Cummins. Um, then Hazelwood's that just ultra dependable line and length, every single ball, make you make a mistake. And he's been likened to him many, many times, but I think he's a little bit different. He's been likened to Glenn McGrath a lot. When I hear line and length every single time, I think Glenn McGrath. Yeah, for obvious reasons. And obviously we really only saw Glenn McGrath in the second half of his career. And from what I've seen and heard, McGrath was a little bit more aggressive and quick and stuff in his early days. But I think Hazelwood's probably not quite as consistent as McGrath is or was, especially late in his career. Yeah, But he's probably a yard or two quicker. He's got a better bouncer. Um, and he's got those sort of other skills that just come from playing T20 cricket. He's got a really good Yorker and can hit it consistently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he may not get the plaudits that the other two or three in the attack get, but Hazelwood is just the ultimate dependable. You know what you're going to get. And like, even though sometimes he'll get one for or two for because batsmen will just play and miss or we'll be able to defend it away. Sometimes you'll see what happened on the, on the weekend and you'll get five for eight. Okay. Oh, that's one thing I wanted to talk about before you go on. Um, how, and it sounds dumb, but like, how does that happen? Like I swear Tim Payne took about eight catches off um, like the off edge of the bat. Like I swear it was the same shot by eight different batsmen every single time. Like what, what is it? Is it, is it the bowling or is it just the, not incompetence, but just like uh, poor form. Yeah, so it's a it's a little bit of both. And let's just clear up one thing. He didn't take eight wickets for five runs. Yeah, no, it was I, the I, other way around. It was five batsmen, not eight. Um, eight. That's but, what I meant. But so Hazelwood's first wicket was uh, Agarwal, mm. who I believe was the. Th- so at one stage, India lost four for none, right? Yeah. Um, and I think Agarwal was the third of the four. It was Hazelwood's first ball of the innings. Um, and I think once you've lost two for none, as an opening batsman that sort of got yourself in, he'd faced 39 balls at that point. You probably see a ball that is like in and around that sort of range where you can hit it and probably get a single. And you think we'll try and get the scoreboard ticking over again, just like not get this buildup of pressure. Yep. Um, and obviously Hazelwood was good enough to maybe nibble it away a little bit or just like get a slight misjudgment. That's all you need. Like it, it's literally an inch or half an inch between pushing it out for a single yep. and getting that edge through to the keeper. So that's probably what that one was. And then Rahane comes in. They've lost three for none. He's the vice captain, going to be the captain for the rest of the tour now that Coley's gone. Um. And he probably thinks, all right, I'm a good enough batsman to just like see the ball and be able to get it in the gap for one, get us off this sort of track of three for none. And most days, like probably 49 out of 50 times that he's in that situation, he will be good enough to get enough of the bat on the ball to push it out for one, or even just to push it out to the fielder for a dot. Yeah. But clearly all the stars aligned on this day and he wasn't, he got the edge through. Um. And then they were just really, really under pressure. So Hazelwood's other three wickets were number, well, seven, eight, nine, Vahari, Saha and Ashwin, who by then, like the rot had set in. I think by the time 
he got Vahari and or Saha. I'm pretty sure Coley was out. So it was like five for 19. And by that stage, they were in full panic. They were just seeing the ball and sort of not really thinking to let it go. They were just like, all right, there it is, hit it. It did, it did get to that point of dominance where you're almost disappointed when they hit runs. Yeah. Like, why aren't they all out for 10 right now? <laughs> yeah, no, I was listening to the uh, radio and the ABC commentator. So at this stage, Hazelwood had um, four for three. Five for three, I think. He had five for three. Um, and I think Umesh Yadav, it must have been the number 10, pushed a single. And the commentator says, well, that's just rude of him. He's absolutely ruined Hazelwood's figures. He had three runs before. Now he's gone for four. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, it was just ridiculous. And I want um, another thing I wanted to talk about is that um, Australia's bowling attack is obviously phenomenal. Um, the entire test doesn't overshadow the, uh, I guess, shaky batting that we did have in the first innings? Very much so. Um, having, yeah, having said that, I think it's a weird one because if you go through it, Joe Burns hadn't gotten past two in a month. That's true. So, I mean, eight's probably, a good, eight's probably a good return from him. <laughs> um, Matthew Wade had not only not ever opened in a test match, He'd never opened in a Sheffield Shield match. Right. Um, he's a true middle order and used to be a number seven batsman, to be honest, when he was a wicketkeeper for the majority of his career. Yeah, that's where I remember him. He used to um, um, wicketkeep for the Bushrangers, didn't he? Yep, and then Tassie. Um, and to be honest, I am hesitant to criticise Matthew Wade about his batting because, well, A, in the second innings, he looked very good before he, I don't know, you clearly haven't seen that run out. It, he swept it, absolutely middled a slog sweep into short leg, was going for four. Yeah. Hit the guy on the shoulder and it rebounded just to the right of the wicketkeeper who ran over, grabbed it and flicked it through his legs and hit the stumps to run Matthew Wade out before he could get back. Jeez, that's a fair shout. It was Donny-esque, as the commentator said. That's what Donny used to do all the time. That's why he's regarded so highly. Yeah. Um, it was a very, very good piece of wicket keeping. So, no, I think Matthew Wade looked really good in the second innings. And for him to sac almost sacrifice himself for the team, because obviously there was a huge opening conundrum after um, Warner got injured, Pekowski got injured. They were sort of, they went from too many openers to no openers. Yeah. And, and Wade just said, all right, well, we've got too many middle order batsmen and only one opener. I'll go up, I'll open which is selfless in itself, but even more selfless when you think that Warner very well could have been and still could be back for the Boxing Day test. And, like, it's almost, if he got dropped, it's almost signing his own death warrant. Yeah, because they're not going to drop, well, like, they might, but, like, Head like, was okay. But, like, yeah, he's the one who's, like, if he has a bad performance of one, they're like, well, yeah, he's not an opener. And then they just yeah. direct swap him out. Yeah, like it was one of the most selfless things I think I've seen in quite a while from an Australian cricketer to say, all right, this is completely against my own self-interest, but this is what the team needs. So, yeah, fuck it, I'll do it. I'll yeah. go face Jasper at Boomer with the new ball, and if I fail and you decide that Warner can come back in instead of me and I never play test cricket again, so be it. That's what the team needs. Like, 
most um, selfless act since Cameron Bancroft. Well, that's not. Uh, <laughs> we... Anyway, so yeah, I'm hesitant to criticize either of those. Labashain should have been out 10 times, but still almost got himself to 50. Rody's luck um, was the second top score, so it's hard to criticize him. Steve Smith, I didn't see any of his innings other than the ball he got out to. It was uh, um, one it's, it, 29. Oh. Yeah, sounds sounds like he really struggled, but like Smith, he's the best batsman in the world. He's going to fail occasionally. Yeah, he really hates the pink ball too. Apparently, <clears throat> um, so we'll see how he goes for the rest of the summer before we drop him. <sighs> um, then Travis Head, yeah, a worry. I'd like to see him make some runs. Obviously, I, I really like Travis Head. I think he's got good leadership potential, which is why I think he's still the vice captain. Yeah. Um, I like the way he bats. I just think he's probably a bit too loose at times, but um, he's a fighter. He quite often, even when he fails, he usually gets to 20 or 30, which as much as it sounds silly, can be invaluable at times, especially in low scoring tests like this one was. Yeah. Not obviously hundred, obviously he didn't in this innings, but um. And then Cam Green, by all accounts, again, didn't see any of it because I was heading down the Hume. Um, saw the ball he got out to, though. That was a really good catch from Coley. Um, apparently, he batted pretty well, looked very classy. First test, I can probably give him a pass. I mean, he made 23. It's not as if he made one. Yeah, and also, like, you've um, got to give him a couple of... It's his first test. You've got to give him time to warm up and, like, yeah, and play into the team. Yeah, and then Tim Payne couldn't have done much better. Couldn't have done any better. Man of the match, he was unbeaten on 70-odd and was probably the difference in the end. Um, so, yeah, look, our batting didn't go well and did obviously look shaky. We collapsed. I reckon I checked at one stage we were five for 80. The, the, the thing is, you A, you don't expect Steve Smith to fail so badly. Mm. And B, I would have thought the majority of the time you could expect one of Burns, Wade, or Travis Head to make 50-odd at least. Something, yeah. So, like, I think, um, obviously, what did we make in the first innings? 191. Yeah. Um, with Burns made eight, Wade made eight, Smith made one, Head made fuck all. Seven. Uh, so I think normally you could add, well, you could add probably a hundred to Smith's score and 50 to one of Wade or Burns and Head's scores. And then you, you're up towards 300, 320 in a day night test, which is an exceptional score. So, I mean, I think there are worrying things, but I don't think it's pressed the big red panic button yet and bring back Sean Marsh. Is he retired yet? No, no, he was in discussions to come back into the side um, w- when their opener conundrum happened, but obviously they went with Wade. The one I can't understand is that Kawaja was never in the discussion because, and oh. I can't remember whether we talked about this last week, but yeah, we did. I really like um, Kawaja. I, I don't know what happened to him. Yeah, so he can't bat outside Australia is his problem. The swinging ball, he's no good. The turning ball, he's no good. But the flat pitches of Australia, he bats very well. 
I'm not going to lie. Last time I checked, we are playing in Australia at the moment. So. Yeah, we are. But I mean, at the same time, we're playing a test series against India who we should obliterate regardless. Yeah. Uh, and I think that just goes to show how nothing of a series this is going to be, especially when Coley leaves. Yeah, see, it's disappointing because if Coley was here, I think it could be a really, really good series. I think these are almost the best two test sides in the world. Um, Pajara is just a freakishly good batsman. Um, Coley obviously is probably is definitely in the best two batsmen in the world. Mm. Um, and then Boomerah, oh, Shami's injured now, which hurts as well. But Boomerah is one of the best test bowlers. Ravi Ashwin's one of the best test spinners. Um, and add to that the fact that India beat us on home soil last time they were here. Obviously, that was a little skewed because Smith and Warner were suspended. Yeah, no, yeah. I I would have been really excited to see this test series if Coley had have been here for the whole thing, but childbirth is what it is, and um, COVID bubbles are what they are, and it's just sort yeah. of coincided to be really shitty, but that's okay. Ah, oh, that's yeah, it's not ideal. And if you think Australia are having bad opening problems, my man Prithvi Shaw went for zero and four at an average of. Two, so oh yeah, yeah, he's yeah, he's really know. he is really struggling. Um, the the only silver lining for him and probably for the viewers in terms of how we go against India in the Boxing Day Test is, uh, the curator at the Melbourne Cricket Ground does tend to prepare a genuine piece of tarmac for the test. So Prithi Shaw should make two hundred without too much sweat. And if India bat first, Pajara might bat for five days. Quite legitimately, if they were not seeking to win and just wanted a draw, Pajara, I think, could go 450 overs without being dismissed on the Melbourne pitch. Mate, there is zero Alli- on that pitch. Alistair Cook did it a couple of years ago, didn't he? I think he made 230 in Melbourne. Yeah, you may as well bowl on the Hume Highway. Because the ball just doesn't seem or swing or spin or stay low or go high. It is just like playing on a carpet pitch at the uh, uh, White Flat Reserve. I thought you were going to talk about the uh, the indoor cricket centre in Wendoree. Uh, up at Major League Sports. Yeah, that's... No, there's a bit of variation off the... Well, the Major League pitch, you bowl off half the distance, so... I was like, mate, I didn't have anything moving on any pitch that I've ever bowled on, so. No, that's true. And you had a bent elbow. Imagine if you bowled with a straight arm. Oh, mate. I was basically. Mate, you, you went full murally and you still couldn't turn the ball. Ah, no. I was truly awful. Um, One thing I did want to touch on before we, uh, actually, I'm going to do the list after this because it is pertinent to the. T- right, I've, got, I've got plenty more cricket content. Don't wrap up part one on me yet. Fantastic. All right. I wanted, I wanted to talk about the uh, the night watchman tactic because, what, uh, what was it? End of day one? They No, yeah. end of day two. End of day two, they brought in... Day two, day two. Yeah. Umrah. Night watchman, I think he went... No, it was the end of day one, wasn't it? It was the end of day one. I don't think it was because India batted first. Yeah, and they batted out the day. Oh no! It was the yeah? It was the end of day two? Sorry. Yeah, so I forget because in, India ended day one and day two batting. 
Yeah, this is a three-day test, everyone. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, India, uh, Australia all out for 191. Uh, I think Shaw gets out. Um, uh, yeah, yes, yes, yep. Cummins went through the gate. Um, Boomer comes in, bats out the six overs, I think. What what happens? Um, obviously, it's not that big a deal um, in the early days. But why do you bring out a, a um, night watchman other than Dizzy Gillespie, who will knock him for four hundred? Um, two hundred and one. Two hundred and one. <laughs> but does does that stifle your attack for the next day? Because if Boomer stays in and stays. You know, chill defensive as he should as a what? What does he bat nine or ten? Traditionally, he bats, well, he used to bat eleven, but he got elevated to ten. Ooh, uh, 10. He made fifty in the tour match against Australia A last week. Does that slow your attack into the next day? Like, what? What is the thinking behind a night watchman? So, short answer to your initial question: No, not at all, because. Even if, if they're not scoring fast enough, if like the, if a captain is genuinely concerned up there in the box that this day-night test, which I'm not sure any of them have made it to day four and definitely none have made it to day five, if the captain's up there in the box thinking that this is slowing us so much that it's going to lead to a draw, they can send the water boy out and say, all right, you've done your job, start swinging, hit out or get out. Oh, right. Um, but the more pertinent part of your question is the point of it is especially in day night cricket, but in all cricket, the last few overs are the hardest to bat and any batsman does not want to go in with five overs to go because there's nothing to be gained and everything to be lost. Like you, you can't, nobody, no batsman is going in to bat with five overs left in the day of a test match and are going to be 34 not out and flying for the next day. The best case scenario if you're a batsman is you, you've scratched your way to 10 not out and you've survived. The worst case is you're out. Sure. So the thinking is send the night watchman in and hopefully he... And normally they don't send the worst, worst batsman in. Or they send... If it's the number 11 they send in, they normally have a pretty good defence, which is like Nathan Lyon is Australia's night watchman. Um, Boomer is... India's obviously and the thinking is just get in there blunt especially in India's case um Australia the Australian ball was quite new still so theoretically should have moved around a bit um and then one of two things can happen they can successfully get through to stumps which is a win and then if they get out first thing in the morning doesn't matter yeah or if they get out hopefully they've chewed up enough balls um, but even if they get out for a golden duck and then you send the next batsman in anyway, like you haven't really lost anything because like you, they don't add too much value at the end of the order anyway. I think India lost four for 11 in their first innings. Yeah. The last four batsmen. So no, I think it's a pretty good tactic, especially in pink ball tests where it's so difficult to bat at night. Yeah. Um, but also in normal day tests, no batsman wants to go out with a couple of overs to go. Trust me, from experience, it's the worst feeling because you're like, the best case scenario is I get a couple of runs and I survive and I start again next week. Or we send the night watchman out. 
he gets through, he gets out in the first term next week, and I start again next week anyway. Four runs less than I would have been. Mate, if there was anyone in the entire world who I'd want to come on with five overs left, it would be you. Because I know all you do, plant your foot forward, nice defense, you get in front of the ball, nothing's going anywhere. Yeah, but even if you have that as an attitude, which like people like I used to and uh, Pajara do, Royal Dravid used to for India, like if you get a good one, like Pajara did in that second innings and he got out for a duck, like if that happens the night before, and that's probably another thing, because you could argue that getting out on the last ball of day two or the first ball of day three, it, there's no difference practically. Yeah. But there's a huge difference for the psyche and the motivation of the bowling team. Like if they go into day three with one wicket and think, oh shit, how are we going to get this bloke out? He's impossible to get out. He batted for 107 hours last tour versus going into day three, two wickets down. All right. The real wall guy is out. We're into Coley now. Like that's a huge mental difference and huge like change in attitude for the bowling team and for the rest of the batting team. Yeah. Cause the batting team goes, all right, we've got Pajara still in like, he can get us through versus all right shit Pajara's out like Coley's in but if Coley gets out we're fucked yeah sure yeah no, I, was, I, I think it's an interesting tactic um before we continue on with the test I wanted to move the list up the batting order not be over yet five seconds to oh, he's out of bounds 13 13 <laughs> can you believe it he's kicked 13 on the siren can you believe that the list has moved to part one yeah, I'm very surprised, seeing as how I have no idea what the list might be about this week. Yeah, well, the list this week um, is five sporting events that are very embarrassing, but not as embarrassing as that Indian second innings. Oh, my goodness. If you say the word South or Africa, I'm out. No, this is this is a wide range of sports. These are also things that only I've seen with my own eyes. Good. Don't say the word supplement either. Ah, oh, no. That was just depressing. Depressing uh, for you? No, nah, for the league. I'm an AFL ambassador, as you know. AFL ambassador. You're absolute. Hawthorne second, as um, the listeners obviously won't be able to see, but with a picture of Tom Murphy in my background. If anybody could call in and tell us who the fuck Tom Murphy is, you'd be sent a prize. Yeah, this... Uh, this signed Tom Murphy photo. <laughs> Actually, I'll give you the deed to my house, considering we don't have a call-in number. Yeah, well, that's true. All right. Uh, these are in no particular order. Uh, Nate Robertson getting knocked out by Jake Paul. Embarrassing. Around the same level. Probably not as embarrassing. Uh, Jake Paul... Josh Hazelwood, Nate Robinson, Virat Kohli. Yeah, similar. Yeah. Um, I've got, this is, a, this is a good memory for Bombers supporters. 2011, Essendon v. Gold Coast. 94 to 1 at quarter time. Kyle Reimers. Kyle Reimers, what a quarter. And I, I think get. He kicked six in the first quarter, didn't he? Yeah, he had a belter. I think he kicked five. Um, and, like, sure, the Suns are supposed to be bad, but they're also a professional football team. Unless you are... With Gary Ablett. Yeah, with arguably 
the greatest player of our generation. So you know what? Shape up, Gold Coast. Turn up. Um, Mark, have you ever heard of the butt fumble? Mark Sanchez, New York Jets. The butt fumble. The butt fumble. So on Thanksgiving, this is prime time. All of America's on the couch eating turkey, watching football. With the Jets down 14-0, Mark Sanchez fucked up a misdirect play and went the wrong way and then tried to run, ran into the butt of his own lineman and the Patriots scoop, scooped the ball up, scored, and ended up winning the game 49-19. to I dare say that the butt fumble didn't cost them the game if they lost by 30 points, but... That's true, but it it also has its own Wikipedia page and it is in depth. It's not just one of those ones where it's like opening paragraph and first subheading. It has like a play-by-play of the entire butt fumble and the ramifications on the jet season. It's incredible. You can guarantee I'll be reading that after we finish recording tonight. As you should. It's a great read. Um, Heading to the NBA. The LA Clippers blow a 3-1 lead to the Nuggets. Now the Clippers talk the most amount of shit for the little that they won. Um, they brought in Kawhi. Was that this year? That was this year. Uh, yeah, that was this year. Yeah, it was. I remember everybody saying it's going to be LA, LA v LA. Yeah. Um, it was not LA v LA. It was just LA. Um, and it was like the equivalent of when you see arrogant players lose. Like everyone loves when James Sicily lose, loses. Oh, round one next year. James Sicily is fucked. Yeah. Well, I had Papley first because I cannot stand Tom Papley. <laughs> um, and in the game seven, uh, Paul George hit the side of a backboard while shooting a three while they were down 20. So uh, embarrassing to say the least. Not what you want. No, not ideal. Uh, two more to go. Have you ever heard of a man named Stephen Tullock? Uh, no. So he used to be a linebacker. We're talking NFL for the Detroit Pistons. Now, just for context, he played eight seasons in a row, 131 games in a row, which was the longest in the league for a non-quarterback. Now, after, after a sack, he mimicked Aaron Rodgers' sack uh aaron Rodgers' touchdown dance which is like the champ you know the championship belt where they like throw the belt off um he jumped tried to do that tore both acls both acls both acls oh my god that's real so we're getting towards india territory now i was like he folded like a lawn chair he did that he went full virat Kohli. he went brithry shaw he went all nothing. Um, and then it pains me to say, last on the list, Atlanta versus New England 2016 Super Bowl. We were 28-3 up at halftime. We lost 34-28. to 28. You know our mutual friend, Mr. Liam Fitzpatrick? I do know Mr. Liam Fitzpatrick. I was talking to him at halftime of that game. I said, you watch, they'll win New England. Sadly, Mr. Fitzpatrick does not run sports bet or I'd be a millionaire. Yeah, 
No, that was that was a very upsetting day in my life. That was my first ever. It's Sunday night, the or Sunday the Super Bowl, yeah, yeah, Super Bowl Sunday. So that was the Monday. That was my first ever day of university, and I was in my room watching the Super Bowl, as you should. So no, fuck class, fuck socializing. I'm watching the football. <sighs> yeah, and that was my top five list of embarrassing stuff, but not as embarrassing as India's thirty-six all out. Suck shit, Virat. Yeah, cop it. Have a cop it, mate. Um, a couple more things on the test before we move on. Yeah, let's go. Something I don't like to dwell on, but it has to be mentioned. The umpiring is deplorable. How so? I don't see... As a former football umpire, I know when a football umpire is fucked up. I don't watch enough cricket to see, especially test cricket, to know what bad umpiring is. Especially since the advent of the decision review system, it's very easy to tell when an umpire is fucked up because their decisions get overturned. Ah. And Bruce Oxenford was the equivalent of the Seinfeld episode where George does the opposite of every instinct he's ever had. Every decision Bruce Oxenford gave was wrong. And he was a main oh. umpire? He, so normal so the traditional test rules have been that you need non sorry that you need neutral umpires. So umpires not from either of the playing nations. Makes sense. But COVID travel restrictions have forced the ICC to abolish that rule at least temporarily. I'm going to say Bruce Oxenford. It isn't India. Bruce, yeah, no. Um, the other guy, Virat Oxenford is. No, um, no. Bruce Oxenford and uh, Paul Rifle are both Australian. Paul Rifle's been okay. Bruce Oxenford, I, as a former cricket umpire myself, I could have done a 10 times better job than him. Not only did he get the majority of the calls wrong that he was the the predominant umpire for at one stage he called virat Kohli one short meaning he hadn't tapped his bat in when he ran and turned at one end mm. only for the replays to show that Kohli was indeed in like calling a batsman one short is quite an extreme and uncommon occurrence and you only do it if they're like convincingly short not only was he not convincingly short, he was in and he called him one short. So it's one of those it, things where like, unless you're 100% certain you call. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was bizarre. Yeah. Well, no surprise that umpires all around sports don't do a good job. <laughs> but just the fact that I mentioned the non-neutral umpires, I, I'm not criticizing him of cheating because he was equally as bad in favor of India as Australia. Oh, that's, that's like he wasn't cheating or biased or anything. He's just fucking shit. He's a regular Darren Goldspink. Oh mate, he's Scott McLaren. Woof. Woof. He's if we can localize to Ballarat, he's Phil. Oh, Phil. Crazy Phil. Not not bad intention, just awful. Just bad. Just bad. You'd be better off umpiring yourself. Um, and then the final thing I had on test cricket is to do with the pink ball test. I love the pink ball test. 
cricket in prime time is delicious. Mm. Um, I would seriously love a Boxing Day primetime test next year. Is that in any danger of happening? Because I like it too. I like how it's more of a spectacle. And it... I don't. I don't think so because it's such an occasion for the morning of Boxing Day. Yes. The only the only way I can see it happening would be if they moved it forward a day and played it, made it a Christmas test, and started it at three o'clock or two thirty Christmas afternoon. But that's probably a little bit early. I think there'd be riots. Um, but my. My one gripe with the pink ball test, and it's not a, a huge practical gripe, it's more of an inconvenience for spectators, really, and schedulers, is the fa- it never goes five days. It rarely goes four days. It has never gone five days. Ever. Ever. Well, not in Australia. Yeah. Um, is that just because long-form cricket doesn't lend itself to playing at night? Is that really all it is? No, I, well, I think it's because the ball moves more at night. Um, but I would like to see pink ball tests reduced to four days. And, like, practically, it uh, has no effect, obviously, because if you, if you schedule five days, it can go for four days. I'll say we just saw three days. Were, not even three days. Like, two and a half. Yeah. So, for sports fans, what is there to watch on TV tonight? Ah, uh, surely there's some big bash on. There's not big bash on because tonight's supposed to be day five of the cricket, so they couldn't schedule any. Ah, uh, so there was a game on last night because it was supposed to be yesterday morning before the test, but because it became so apparent that there wouldn't be cricket on last night, they moved the big bash from eleven o'clock to seven p.m. Today, though, they couldn't schedule one at 11 o'clock because it's a working day, obviously. So just no sport on. Sure. Uh, There'll be something on. But, like, yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, but, like, like if if it was happening every now and again that there wasn't a fifth day, yes. But there's never been a fifth day, at least in Australian pink ball cricket. So I wouldn't... Does that play with the, um, the, like... Not tradition of test, but I guess we all know test cricket as five days. And if you make one day four days and the rest is five, does that play with the like can continuity, I guess? Look, yes, and I get that point. But at the same time, test cricket's always been a day only affair and it's always been with a red ball. So it's not as if we haven't changed anything already to allow for day night cricket. Um, I I think it's just a further evolution that, uh, and especially as cricket becomes more commercial and more based on television rights and ratings and money. Like I think missing out on that day of cricket for channel seven is just a massive disadvantage when even Stevie wonder could see it coming. Yeah. Because Stevie wonder's not blind. That's a good point. Um, Just everybody can see it coming. Well, either on record or off record, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that is the case. That was probably off air. Ah, oh, mate. But yeah, no, I get what you mean. Because like now, what what a Channel 7 have on now? That's oh, a, it's oh, a very good question because I'm pretty sure on the TV guide it says uh, test cricket between Australia and India. Ah, oh, they'll have better home cricket gardens on or something. 
and actually on is an episode of The Rookie, which I'm pretty sure is Nathan Fillion's new drama show, Post Castle. Oh, good for him. Oh, good for he's, him. How, how old's Nathan Fillion? 40, 45? Yeah, he, he's a rookie with the NYPD. Uh, he worked his way up through those ranks. He did indeed. He went from crime writer to consultant. Now he's a rookie. Now in ten years, there ten years there'll be a TV series called The Detective, or The Commish. Oh, The Commish is already a TV show. The Commissioner, starring Nathan Fillion. Imagine his entire career is just going up through the ranks. Yeah, well, he did Firefly for a while and it got cancelled after one season, and then probably as it should, to be honest. Oh, they reckon it's the most underrated and criminally cancelled TV show of all time. Ah. I've never seen an episode, so I can't comment. But Yeah, well. Um, anything else on cricket before we, before we... Well, that's it. That's it for test cricket. We've got to do a Big Bash segment, don't we? I've definitely got that under last call. Oh, I've got heaps of Big uh, Actually, we could probably do it pretty quickly. Yeah, we can do it as last call. Oh, we don't have right. pretty quickly as last call, but like that's I, a good point. Last call can go for an hour. It it, it really can. It, it it genuinely last week's last call when I was editing it, it was I think eight minutes. And then when cricket started before we made the first half cricket, it was genuinely half an hour. Yeah, yeah, I like it. it I mean it, it sort of fits with the the theme of the podcast because uh, the barman can call last call and you could have just an eight minute conversation go, all right, guys, see you later. Or one of the old codgers at the bar could launch into a couple of stories from the sixties and you'd be there for hours. Uh, that's just Ian Chapel when he walks into the bar that I work at. Oh, how delightful was it after the Sydney outbreak Saturday, Ian Chapel got banished from the Adelaide Oval. Couldn't make it. You hate to see it. What a delight for ABC listeners. <laughs> I really like oh. the, um, the TV commentators at the moment. It was how I'm liking it too. How we want Gilly? Oh, there's heaps of them at the test. Yeah, no, the Fox commentators are all pretty good. Um, yeah, Howie, Warney, Gilly, Junior, AB, Isha Gua is just about my favourite commentator on the planet. Kerry O'Keefe's hilarious. Um, a good Brett Lee's Brett Lee's not great. Uh, Mike Hussey's good. Yeah, most of the Fox ones are very good. And then Channel 7, Ricky Ponting is just a delight and almost Nostradamus in the way that he can predict what's going to happen. Um, Alison Mitchell is very good. Flem is very good. Tim Lane, I can take or leave. Simon Kadich is all right. Yeah, no, the um, the TV commentators across both stations are pretty, pretty good. Ah, uh, yeah. no, And I don't get to, you know, listen to much of the commentary because I often catch the cricket at work, but like, when I do, mm. I'm like, this is enjoyable. Listening to Howie and Warney banner about is fun. Yeah. No, Howie has slowly ascended to be one of the better cricket commentators in the country. He's, no, he's very good. So, um, yeah. Other than that, we're going to wrap. Mm. wrap. All right. Let's wrap, wrap that part up. Come back for part two. All the usuals minus the list. And... Big BBL talk because you know what? It's the summer of cricket, baby. 